You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Sputnik 1, or just Sputnik, was the first artificial Earth satellite. The Soviet Union launched it into an elliptical, low Earth orbit on October 4, 1957. It was 58 centimeters or 23 inches in diameter. It was a polished metal sphere with four external radio antennas to broadcast radio pulses. Its radio signal was easily detectable even by amateurs and the 65-degree inclination and duration of its orbit made its flight path cover virtually the entire inhabited Earth. This surprise success precipitated the American Sputnik crisis and triggered the space race, a part of the Cold War. The launch ushered in new political, military, technological, and scientific developments. Tracking and studying Sputnik 1 from the Earth provided scientists with valuable information, even though the satellite itself wasn't equipped with sensors. The density of the upper atmosphere could be deduced from its drag on the orbit, and the propagation of its radio signals have gave information about the ionosphere. Sputnik was launched during the International Geophysical Year from site number 15 at the 5th Tyrantum Range in Casca, SSR, USSR, now known as the Bacchanor Cosmodrome. The satellite traveled at about 29,000 kilometers per hour, or 18,000 miles per hour or to be even more precise, 8,100 meters per second, 
taking 96.2 minutes to complete each orbit. It transmitted on 20.005 and 40.002 MHz, which were monitored by amateur radio operators throughout the world. The signal continued for 21 days until the transmitter batteries ran out on October 26, 1957. Sputnik burned up on January 4, 1958, while re-entering the Earth's atmosphere after three months, 1,440 completed orbits of the Earth, and a distance traveled of about 70 million kilometers, or 43 million miles. On December 17, 1954, Chief Soviet rocket scientist Sergei Korolev proposed a developmental plan for an artificial satellite to Ministry of Defense Industry Dmitry Ustinov. Korolev forwarded a report by Mikhail Tikhonorov with an overview of similar projects abroad. Tikhonorov had emphasized that the launch of an orbital satellite was an inevitable stage in the development of rocket technology. On July 29, 1955, U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower announced through his press secretary that the United States would launch an artificial satellite during the International Geophysical Year. A week later, on August 8th, the Politburo of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union approved the proposal to create an artificial satellite. On August 30th, Vasily Rabikov, the head of the State Commission on the R-7 rocket test launches, held a meeting where Korolev presented calculation data for a spaceflight trajectory to the moon. They decided to develop a three-stage version of the R-7 rocket for satellite launches. On January 30, 1956, the Council of Ministers approved practical work on an artificial Earth-orbiting satellite. This satellite, named Object D, was planned to be completed in 1957 to 1958. It would have a mass of 1,000 to 1,400 kilograms, or 2,200 to 3,100 pounds, and would carry 200 to 300 kilograms, or 440 to 660 pounds of scientific instruments. The first test launch of Object D was scheduled for 1957. Work on the satellite was to be divided between institutions as follows. The USSR Academy of Science was responsible for the general scientific leadership and research instruments supply. The Ministry of Defense Industry and its primary design bureau, OKB-1, were assigned the task of building the satellite. The Ministry of Radiotechnical Industry would develop the control systems, radiotechnical instruments, and the telemetry system. The Ministry of Shipbuilding 
industry would develop the gyroscope devices. The Ministry of Machine Building would develop ground launching, refueling, and transportation means. And finally, the Ministry of Defense was responsible for conducting the launches. Preliminary design work was completed by July 1956, and the scientific tasks to be carried out by the satellite were defined. These included measuring the density of the atmosphere and its ion composition, the solar wind, magnetic fields, and cosmic rays. These data would be valuable to the creation of future artificial satellites. A system of ground stations was to be developed to collect data transmitted by the satellite, observe the satellite's orbit, and transmit commands to the satellite. Because of the limited time frame, observations were planned for only seven to 10 days, and orbit calculations were not expected to be extremely accurate. By the end of 1956, it became clear that the complexity of the ambitious design meant that Object D would not be launched in time because of difficulties creating scientific instruments and the low specific impulse produced by the completed R7 engines. 304 seconds instead of the planned 309 to 310 seconds. Consequently, the government rescheduled the launch for April 1958. Object D would later fly as Sputnik 3. Fearing that the U.S. would launch a satellite before the USSR, OKB-1 suggested the creation and launch of a satellite in April-May 1957, before the International Geostationary Year began in July 1957. The new satellite would be simple, light, 100 kilograms or 220 pounds, and easy to construct, foregoing the complex, heavy scientific equipment in favor of a simple radio transmitter. On February 15, 1957, the Council of Ministers of the USSR approved this simple satellite designated Object PS. This version allowed the satellite to be tracked visually by Earth-based observers and could transmit tracking signals to ground-based receiving stations. The launch of two satellites, PS-1 and PS-2, with two R-7 rockets was approved, provided that the R-7 completed at least two successful test flights. The R-7 Semyorka was initially designed as an ICBM by OKB-1. The decision to build it was made by the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and the Council of Ministers of the USSR on May 20, 1954. The R-7 was also known by its Grayu, later Gervo designation, 8K71. At the time, the R-7 was known to NATO sources as the T-3 or the M-104 and Type A. A Special Reconnaissance Commi 
Commission selected Tyratum for the construction of a rocket, proving grounds, the fifth Tyratum range, usually referred to as NIP-5 or GIC-5 in post-Soviet time. The selection was approved on February 12, 1955, by the Council of Ministers of the USSR, but the site would not be completed until 1958. Actual work on the construction of the site began on July 20th by building, by military building units. On June 14, 1956, Sergei Korolev decided to adapt the R-7 rocket to the Object D that would later be replaced by the much lighter Object PS. The first launch of an R-7 rocket occurred on May 15, 1957. A fire began in the Block D strap on almost immediately at liftoff, but the booster continued to fly until T plus 98 seconds, when the strap on broke away and the vehicle crashed some 400 kilometers downrange. Three attempts to launch the second rocket were made on June 10th through 11th, but an assembly defect prevented launch. The unsuccessful launch of the third R-7 rocket took place on July 12th. An electrical short caused the Werner engines to put the missile into an uncontrolled roll, which resulted in all of the strap-ons separating 33 seconds into the launch. The R-7 crashed about seven kilometers from the pad. The launch of the fourth rocket on August 21st at 1525 Moscow time was finally successful. The rocket's core boosted the dummy warhead to the target altitude and velocity, re-entered the atmosphere, and broke apart at the height of 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles after having traveling 6,000 kilometers. On August 27th, TASS issued a statement on the successful launch of a long-distance multi-stage ICBM. The launch of the fifth R-7 rocket on September 7th was also successful, but the dummy was also destroyed on atmospheric re-entry and hence needed a redesign to completely fulfill its military purpose. The rocket, however, was deemed suitable for satellite launches, and Korolev was able to convince the State Commission to allow the use of the next R-7 to launch Sputnik 1, allowing the delay of the rocket's military exploration to launch the PS-1 and PS-2 satellites. On September 22nd, a modified R-7 rocket named Sputnik and indexed as 8K-71PS arrived at the proving ground and preparations for launch of the PS-1 began. Compared to the military R-7 test vehicles, the mass of Sputnik was reduced from 280 tons to 272 tons. Its length with the PS-1 was 29 meters or 95 feet tall, 
and the thrust at liftoff was 880,000 pounds. These weights reductions were accomplished by deleting the internal guidance system, severely telemetry measurements, and assorted hardware designs to support a warhead. PS-1 was not designed to be controlled. It could only be asserted. Initial data at the launch site would be collected at six separate observatories and telegraphed to locations back in Moscow. NII-4 was a scientific research arm of the Ministry of Defense detected to missile development. The six observatories designated IP-1 through IP-6 were clustered around the launch site with the closest, IP-1, situated at a distance of one kilometer from the launch pad. A second nationwide observation complex was established to track the satellite after its separation from the rocket. Called the Command Measurement Complex, it consisted of the Coordination Center in NII-4 and seven distant stations situated along the line of the satellite's ground track. These tracking stations were located at Tyrantem, Sarashanga, Yaneski, Klaichi, Yelizovo, Makat in Guruv Oblast, and Ishkup in Kransunyark Karak. Stations were equipped with radar, optical instruments, and communication systems. Data from the stations were transmitted by telegraphs into NII-4, where ballistic specialists calculated orbital parameters. The complex became an early prototype of the Soviet Mission Control Center. The observatories used a trajectory measurement system called TRAL, developed by OKB, which they received and monitored data from transponders mounted on the R-7's rocket's core stage. This data was useful even after the satellite separation from the second stage of the rocket. Sputnik's location was calculated from the data on the second stage location, which followed Sputnik at a known distance. Tracking of the booster during the launch had to be accomplished through purely passive means, such as visual coverage and radar detection. R-7 test launches demonstrated that tracking cameras were only good up to an altitude of 200 kilometers, or 120 miles, but radar could track it for almost 400 kilometers, or 250 miles. Outside the Soviet Union, the satellite was tracked by amateur radio operators in many countries. The U.S. government followed it from the Central Radio Propagation Laboratory of the National Bureau of Standards. The booster rocket was located and tracked by the British using the Lovell Telescope at the Jordell Bank Observatory, the only telescope in the world able to do so by radar. Canada's Newbrook Observatory was the first facility in North America to photograph Sputnik. The chief con 
constructor of Sputnik at OKB1 was Mikhail S. Komyakov. The satellite was a 585 millimeter or 23 inch diameter sphere assembled from two hemispheres that were hermetically sealed with O-rings and connected by 36 bolts. It had a mass of 83 kilograms or 184 pounds. The hemispheres were two millimeters thick and were covered by a highly polished one millimeter thick heat shield made of aluminum, magnesium, titanium alloy. The satellite carried two pairs of antennas designed by the antenna laboratory of OKB-1 led by Mikhail V. Kreshkineshkin. Each antenna was made up of two whip-like parts, 2.4 and 2.9 meters in length, and had an almost spherical radiation pattern so that the satellite beeps were transmitted with equal power in all directions, making reception of the transmitted signal independent of the satellite's rotation. The power supply, with a mass of 51 kilograms or 112 pounds, was in the shape of an octagonal nut with a radio transmitter in its hole. It consisted of three silver-zinc batteries developed at the All-Union Research Institute of the Current Sources under the leadership of Nikolai S. Litorenko. Two of these batteries powered the radio transmitter and one powdered, powered the temperature regulation system. The batteries had an expected lifetime of two weeks and operated for 22 days. The power supply was turned on automatically at the moment of the satellite's separation from the second stage of the rocket. The satellite had a 1 watt, 3.5 kilogram radio transmitting unit inside, developed by Veselesli I. Lapo from the Moscow Electronics Research Institute that worked on two frequencies. 20.005 and 40.002 megahertz. Signals on the first frequency were transmitted in 0.3 second pulses under normal temperature and pressure conditions on board, with pauses of the same duration filled by pulse on the second frequency. Analysis of the radio signals was used to gather information about the electron density of the ionosphere. Temperature and pressure were encoded in the duration of the radio beeps. A temperature regulation system contained a fan, a dual thermal switch, and a control thermal switch. If the temperature inside the satellite exceeded 36 degrees Celsius, or 97 degrees Fahrenheit, the fan was turned on and when it fell below 20 degrees Celsius or 68 degrees Fahrenheit, the fan was turned off by the dual thermal switch. If the temperature exceeded 50 Celsius or 122 Fahrenheit or fell below zero Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, another control thermal switch was activated, changing the duration of the radio signal pulses. Sputnik was filled with dry nitrogen 
pressurized to 1.3 atmospheres. The satellite had a baromic switch activated if the pressure inside the satellite fell below 130 kilopascals, which would have indicated failure on the pressure vessel or puncture by a meteor and would have changed the duration of the radio signal impulse. While attached to the ro rocket, Sputnik was protected by a cone-shaped payload fairing with a height of 8 centimeters or 31 and a half inches. The fairing separated from both Sputnik and the spent R7 second stage at the same time as the satellite was ejected. Tests on the satellite were conducted at OKB-1 under the leadership of Oleg G. Ivanovsky. The control system of the Sputnik rocket was adjusted to an intended orbit of 223 by 1,450 kilometers, with an or orbital period of 101.5 minutes. The trajectory had been calculated earlier by Giorgio Grekov using the USSR Academy of Sciences' only mainframe computer. The Sputnik rocket was launched on October 4, 1957, at 1928.34 UTC from site number 1 at the NIIP-5 telemetry. More telemetry indicated that the strap-on separated 116 seconds into the flight and the core stage engine shut down 294.4 seconds into the flight. At the shutdown, the 7.5-ton core stage with Sputnik attached had attained an altitude of 223 kilometers or 139 miles above sea level a velocity of 7,780 meters per second, or 25,500 feet per second, and a velocity vector inclination to the local horizon of zero degrees, 24 minutes. This resulted in an initial orbit of 223 kilometers, or 139 miles, by 950 kilometers, or 590 miles with an apogee approximately 500 kilometers or 310 miles lower than intended and an inclination of 65.1 degrees and a period of 96.2 minutes. The launch came very close to failure. A post-flight examination of telemetry data found that the Block G strap-on had not attained full power at ignition and the resulting imbalanced thrust causing the booster to pitch over about two degrees, six seconds after liftoff. Two seconds later, the flight control system tried to compensate by rapidly moving the Veriner engines and stabilizer fins. The Block G strap-on finally reached 100% thrust only one second before the pitch angle would have been great enough to trigger an automatic shutdown command, which would have terminated the launch and sent the R-7 and Sputnik crashing into the ground in a fireball only a short distance from the pad. 
a fuel regulator in the booster also failed around 16 seconds into the launch, which resulted in excessive RP-1 consumptions for the most of the powered flight and engine thrust 4% above normal. The core stage cutoff was intended for T plus 296 seconds, but the premature propellant depletion caused the thrust termination to occur one second earlier when a sensor detected overspeed of the empty RP-1 turboprump. There were 375 kilograms or 827 pounds of liquid oxygen remaining at cutoff. At 19.9 seconds after engine cutoff, Sputnik separated from the second stage. The satellite's transmitter was activated. These signals were detected at the IP-1 station by junior engineer Lieutenant V.J. Borisov, where reception of the Sputnik 1's beep-beep-beep tones confirmed the satellite's successful de deployment. Reception lasted for two minutes until PS-1 fell below the horizon. The trawl telemetry system on the R-7 core stage continued to transmit and was detected on its second orbit. The designers, engineers, and technicians who developed the rocket and satellite watched the launch from the range. After the launch, they drove to the mobile radio station to listen for signals of the satellite. They waited about 90 minutes to ensure the satellite had made one orbit and was transmitting before Korolev called the Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev. On the first orbit of the Telegraph Agency of the Soviet Union, TASS transmitted, as a result of great intense work of scientific institutions and design bureaus, the first artificial Earth satellite had been built. The R-7 core stage with a mass of seven and a half tons and a length of 26 meters also reached Earth's orbit and was visible from the ground at night as a first magnitude object following the satellite. Deployable reflective panels were placed on the booster in order to increase its visibility for tracking. The satellite itself a small, highly polished sphere was barely visible at six magnitudes and thus more difficult to follow optically. A third object, the payload fairing, also achieved orbit. The core stage of the R-7 remained in orbit for two months until December 2nd, 1957, while Sputnik orbited for three months until January 4th. 1958, having completed 1,440 orbits of the Earth. This, as you can imagine, caused the Sputnik crisis. The Sputnik crisis was a period of public fear and anxiety in Western nations about the perceived technological gap between the United States and the Soviet Union caused by the launch of the Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite. The crisis was a key event in the Cold War 
that triggered the creation of NASA and the space race between the two superpowers. The satellite was launched on October 4, 1957 from the Bakunor Cosmodrome. The term was coined by then U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower. The United States was the dominant world power in the early 1950s. Lockheed U-2 spy plane flights over the Soviet Union provided intelligence that the U.S. held the advantage in nuclear capability. However, an education gap was identified when studies conducted between 1955 and 1961 reported that the Soviet Union was training two to three times as many scientists per year as the United States. The launch and orbit of Sputnik suggested that the USSR had made a substantial leap forward in technology, which was interpreted as a serious threat to the U.S. national security. This spurred the United States to make substantial federal investments in research and development, education, and national security. The Juno-1 rocket that carried the first U.S. satellite, Explorer-1, had been ready to launch in 1956, but the fact was classified and unknown to the public. The Army's Jupiter rocket, from which Juno was derived, had been mothballed on the orders of Defense Secretary Charles Irwin Wilson amid an intense rivalry with the U.S. Air Force's Thor rocket. The USSR used ICBM technology to launch Sputnik into space. This essentially gave the Soviets two propaganda victories at once, sending the satellite into space and providing, proving the distance capabilities of their missiles. This proved that the Soviets had rockets capable of sending nuclear weapons from Russia to Western Europe and even North America. This was the most immediate threat that the launch of Sputnik posed. The United States, a land with a history of geographical security from European wars, suddenly seemed vulnerable. Contributing factor to the Sputnik crisis was that the Soviets had not released a photograph of the satellite for five days after the launch. Until this point, the, its appearance remained a mystery to Americans. Another factor was Sputnik's weight of 184 pounds, or 83 kilograms, compared to the United States' plan to launch a satellite of 21 and a half pounds, or 9.8 kilograms. The Soviets' claims seemed outrageous to many American officials who doubted its accuracy. U.S. rockets at the time produced 150,000-pound force, or 670,000 newtons of thrust, and U.S. officials presumed that the Soviet rocket that launched Sputnik into space had to have produced 200,000-pound force, or 890,000 newtons of thrust. In fact, the R-7 rocket that launched Sputnik into space produced almost 1 million pounds force, or 4.4 million newtons of thrust. 
All these factors contribute to the American people's perception that they were greatly behind the Soviets in the development of space technology. Hours after the launch, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign astronomy department rigged an ad hoc inferometer to measure signals from the satellite. Donald B. Giles and Jim Snyder programmed the ILIAC-1 computer to calculate the satellite orbit from this data. The programming and calculations were completed in less than two days. The rapid publication of the Empress orbit in the journal Nature within a month of the satellite launch helped to dispel some of the fear created by the Sputnik launch. It also lent credence to the spurious idea that Sputnik launch was part of an organized effort to dominate space. The successful launch of Sputnik and the subsequent failure <coughs> of the first two Project Vanguard launch attempts greatly accentuated the perception in the United States of a threat from the Soviet Union a perception that had persisted since the Cold War began after World War II. The same rocket that launched Sputnik could send a nuclear warhead anywhere in the world in a matter of minutes, stripping the continental United States of its oceanic defenses. The Soviets had demonstrated this capability on August 21st with a 6,000-kilometer or 3,700-mile test flight of the R-7 booster. The event was announced by TASS five days later and was widely purport reported in other media. Eisenhower's reaction. Five days after the launch of Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite, Eisenhower addressed the people of the United States. After being asked by a reporter about security concerns regarding the Russian satellite, Eisenhower said, Now, so far as the satellite itself is concerned, that does not raise my apprehensions, not one iota. Eisenhower made the argument that Sputnik was only a scientific achievement and not a military threat or a change in world power. Eisenhower believed that Sputnik's weight was not commensurative with anything of great military significance, and that was also a factor in putting it in proper perspective. In 1958, Eisenhower declared three stark facts the United States needed to confront. The USSR had surpassed the United States and the rest of the free world in scientific and technological advancements in outer space. If the USSR maintained the superiority, it might use it as a means to undermine the United States' prestige and leadership. If the USSR became the first to achieve significantly superior military capability in outer space and create an imbalance of power, it could pose a direct military threat to the United States. He followed this statement by saying the United States needed to meet these challenges with resourcefulness and vigor. 
Eisenhower's ability to project confidence about the situation was limited because his confidence was based on clandestine reconnaissance. As such, he failed to quell the fears that was a shift in power between the Americans and Soviets. The perception of the Soviets as a far more modern than American was reinforced by Eisenhower's old-fashioned style. The launch of Sputnik 1 also impacted Eisenhower's ratings in the polls, from which he eventually recovered. The media stirred a moral panic by writing sensational pieces of the event. In the first and second days following the event, the New York Times wrote that the launch of Sputnik was a major global propaganda and prestige triumph for Russian communism. Not only after the people of the United States were exposed to a multitude of news reports did it become a nation in shock. Not only, the media not only reported public concern, it also created the hysteria. Journalists greatly exaggerated the danger of the Soviet satellite for their own benefit. On October 9, 1957, notable science fiction writer and scientist Arthur C. Clarke said that the day Sputnik orbited, orbited around the Earth, the United States became a second-rate power. Politicians used the event to bolster their ratings and polls. Research and development was used as a propaganda tool, and Congress spent large sums of money on the perceived problem of American technology deficiency. After the launch of Sputnik 1, national security advisors overestimated the USSR's current and potential rocket strength which alarmed portions of Congress and the executive branch. When these estimations were released, Eisenhower was forced into accelerated missile rates to appease those concerned with America's safety. Sputnik provoked Congress into taking action on improving the United States' standing in the field of science. The Soviets also had a hand in the political exploitation of the event. Nikita Khrushchev, leader of the USSR, reflected on the event saying, it's always sounded good to say in public speeches that we could hit a fly at any distance with our missiles. Despite the wide radius of destruction caused by our nuclear warheads, pinpoint accuracy was still necessary and it was difficult to achieve. At the time, Khrushchev stated that our potential enemies cringe in fright. Political analysis analysts conducted research on public opinion about Sputnik and found no evidence at all of any panic or hysteria in the public's reaction, confirming that it was an elite, not popular, panic. The launch of Sputnik spurred a series of initiatives by the United States, ranging from the defense to education. Increased emphasis was placed on the Navy's Project Vanguard to launch an American satellite into orbit. The preceding Explorer program that saw the Army launch the first American satellite into orbit on January 31, 1958, also saw a revival. 
In February 1958, Eisenhower authorized the formation of the Advanced Research Project Agency, later renamed the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or commonly known as DARPA, within the Department of Defense to develop emerging technologies for the U.S. military. On July 29, 1958, he signed the National Aeronautics and Space Act, the creation of NASA. Less than a year after the Sputnik launch, Congress passed the National Defense Education Act. The act was a four-year program that poured billions of dollars into the U.S. education system. In 1953, the government spent $153 million, and colleges took $10 million of that funding. However, by 1960, the combined funding grew almost sixfold because of the National Defense Education Act. After the initial public shock, the space race began, leading to the first human launched into space a Project Apollo, and the first humans to land on the moon in 1969. Campaigning in 1960 on closing the missile gap, Eisenhower's successor, John F. Kennedy, decided to deploy 1,000 Minuteman missiles. This was many more ICBMs that the Soviets had at that time though Kennedy did not favor a massive U.S. manned space program, while in the U.S. Senate during Eisenhower's term, public reaction to the Soviet launching of the first human into orbit, Yuri Gagarin, on April 12, 1961, led Kennedy to raise the stakes of the space race by setting the goal of landing men on the moon. Kennedy claimed that if the Soviets control space, they can control the Earth. As in past centuries, the nations that controlled the seas dominated the continents. Eisenhower disagreed with Kennedy's goals, referring it as a stunt. Kennedy had privately acknowledged the space race was a waste of money, but he knew there were benefits from a frightened electorate. The space race was less about intrinsic importance and more about prestige and calming the public. The Sputnik crisis sparked the U.S. drive to take the lead in space exploration from the Soviets, and it fueled the drive to land men on the moon. American officials had a variety of options at the time. Some were alarmed and some dismissed the satellite. Gerald Ford, former Republican congressman of Michigan, had stated that we Middle Westerners are sometimes called isolationists. I don't agree with that label, but there can be no isolationists anywhere when a thermonuclear warhead can flash down from space at hypersonic speed to reach any spot on Earth minutes after its launching. Former United States Rear Admiral Rawson Bennett, Chief of Naval Operations, stated that the Sputnik was a hunk of iron almost anybody could launch. 
The Sputnik crisis also stirred substantial transformation in the United States science policy, which provided much of the basis for modern academic scientific research. In the mid-1960s, NASA went on to provide almost 10% of the federal funds for academic research. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.